0: Please welcome Virgil Walker. <laughs> Y'all don't know what I'm laughing at. He's got me a little card up here for a little personal humor. I appreciate that, Pastor Jim. You sure? Oh, no, I'm not even. <laughs> that's going to that's going to wreck everything. That'll, that'll that'll derail everything we're trying to accomplish. <clears throat> well, again, uh, uh, Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, be here before you. There's a, a, there are a number of things that I want to cover in this session, but what I'd like to do to begin with is really to, to slow some things down. Uh, what I mean is, uh, I've had you a number of you come up and have said, uh, wokeness, what? can you explain that? Like, I know, I, know, I, know, I know that I'm supposed to know what that means, but I'm not exactly sure what that means? How many of you are in that boat? Oh wow, okay. Uh, whiteness. Well, I know it has to do with the my color of my skin, but I, what is what's whiteness like? I if I had to explain that to somebody, what is that? How many of you are still kind of like, what is, what is that really? Okay, more of you know what whiteness is. Okay, uh, then the new racism. The new racism. How many of you could explain if someone asks you, what is the new racism? Uh, how many of you feel like you couldn't really explain that? Okay, that's most of you. Okay, so from the title alone, right, of the talk, we've got to pause and answer some questions. So I want to do that. And, and by way of doing that, m- my goal over the course of the next few sessions is to do two things. One, I, I want to I slow things down for you, right, right? Um, Yesterday, both between Daryl and me, you got a dump truck load of uh, bigger than the tonka that he got yesterday. <laughs> you got a dump truck load full of information, and while that's wonderful and um we we that's just i mean Daryl said it very well that's kind of how we how we do things we don't We don't cut corners, we don't. I mean, we just give you what, what, what we've been giving because we want you to have it. But the beauty of it is, and I noticed this last night, that this is being uh, live-streamed. So if you want to be diligent about the homework, I'd say go back and re-listen to the live-stream. The live and then pause, and then write down some things and take notes, and then do your homework that way. Because that'll be incredibly, incredibly helpful. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to do that. The other thing that, like I said, I'm, I, my intent... Uh, is is to really slow down. This session will be shorter than than the last few, I think. Uh, that's my plan. That's my intention. How about that? We'll start with that. Uh, yesterday, I took two and a half hours for my one session, and this time i I'm just kidding. Um, I'll 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 take a shorter uh, period of time for this one. But let let's start with some definitions. So if you got a sheet of paper in front of you, grab that, and and I want to give you a definition of woke. So the title of the the title of this session is Wokeness, Whiteness, and the New Racism. Wokeness, Whiteness, and the New Racism. So let's start with a definition of woke or wokeness, right? Um, this, is, this is kind of just an urban vernacular, right? I could go back to the origins and, and walk you through all of, all of the history of who, who first said it and who started it. And, and like Daryl said, we always go back to original, original sources. But rather than, rather than do that, I wanna give you something that you can use, uh, something that you can go, oh, okay, I can tell my friend that, right? I can, I can explain that. So wokeness, you ready? This is really deep, okay? To be awakened. <laughs> All right? So it's real deep, real hard, real theological. It's to be awakened, but let me add some things to that. In the current culture, it means to be awakened to the idea that America is systemically racist. It's to be awakened to the idea that America is systemically racist. As a result of that understanding, you then understand that, that every single inequity, everywhere that you see someone having more than someone else Uh, As it relates to race, in this instance, when white people have more than a black person or any black person for that matter, doesn't have something that someone else has or more of it, then that is the result of racism. Being awakened to that truth is what is being woke. Got it? Pretty simple. You can explain that to somebody. Right? You could just say, hey, it means being, being awakened to the idea that America is systemically racist, uh, and any inequity that is seen in culture is the result of racism. Pretty simple, straightforward, you got it. Next, next up, um, whiteness. The majority of you knew what, what whiteness was, but I'm going to try to bring a definition that might be helpful. The other thing is, is I would tell you that there are two uh, episodes that Daryl and I did on whiteness. All right, so you can write these down. It's episode 67 and episode 100. Episode 67 and episode 100. Episode 67 was called Whiteness. So you got a two-hour show about whiteness uh, that you can enjoy. And then the other one was, I can't believe we did that. Uh, The other one is episode 100, and it was called A Biblical Exposition of Whiteness. A Biblical Exposition of Whiteness. Whiteness. Whiteness is, you ready for this? This is really, really deep. Okay. Whiteness is not blackness. That's important, right? And if you listen to the episode, you'll understand why it's important. But uh, whiteness is not blackness. Whiteness refers to the ways white people and their traditions, attitudes, and way of life have been normalized. Whiteness refers to the white people and their traditions, their attitudes, and their way of life has been normalized. Normalized to the degree that they're considered standard, standard practices in the United States. Now, I thought, I thought that this was simply uh, American culture, right? But, then that, but that's what's being attempted. What's being attempted is to attach uh, American culture to something uh, connected to melanin, and as a result, we're going we're gonna to look at, at melanin as something that's sinful. Uh, and, and, and because of that, we can, we can talk poorly about it, which lends us, leads us right into the idea of the new racism. Okay? So whiteness is white people, their traditions, their attitudes, and way of life that have been normalized over time to be considered standard practices. Uh, this is the idea that that all of white people hold the 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 uh, powers, the institutional uh, power in America. That's the that's the idea around that. Well, again, which leads us into the um, uh, the, the next um, word, which is the new racism. The new racism. So the new racism is a term or, or uh, that really you're encountering, and probably know full well. Uh, it's really the same old racism. It's really the same. Old racism. It's just aimed at a new group that society has deemed acceptable. The new racism is simply the same old racism aimed at a new group that society has determined is acceptable. Um, I, as a caveat, I just wrote down it, it, this, is, this, is still, uh, this, this isn't, the idea of the new racism is not a particular to an ethnic group. The new racism is not particular to an ethnic group. Well, why do I say that? Well, we, we talked about yesterday how, how ethnicity or race, race in particular rather, is a social construct. And so what happens with race being a social construct, they can target the new racism at anybody. It doesn't matter the color of your skin anymore, right? This, this new phrase can be leveraged at anyone. This is the idea where you have guys like Daryl and me who are considered white supremacists. Uh, and, and and they're serious when they level that charge, or, or they're saying, or or they would say, we're providing cover for white supremacy. Um, this is where you have uh, uh, people like you guys remember uh, Winsome uh, Winsome Sears. She was the lieutenant governor of of the state of Virginia. Uh, She was a military, she had a military background. Uh, She had done great things, was excited about being an American, stood against CRT. Um, All of that was a part of what what she was about, and she was really excited about her win. Well, she was immediately uh, hailed as the puppet of white supremacy, right? Black woman. her husband and, and the whole family were, were, were really excited about the win, but it, it immediately she was labeled as, as a white supremacist or someone who gives cover for white supremacy. And this is, this is the new racism. Uh, it's simply targeted at anyone who does not align with the current cultural narrative. You've heard us talk about narratology, right? It's, it's the storyline that, that permeates culture. Narratology—it's the storyline that permeates culture. It's—it's it's this idea of, of victimhood. Um, it's the idea that, that that people who are of a specific ethnic background all have all have a have a shared, agreed upon um, um experience that is that 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 permeates victimization. That's a part of being victimized. Well, I can tell you, like I said yesterday. I've been black my whole life. I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I've never been victimized. I, I just, if I have, I don't know it. And, and since I don't know it, I, I could care less about it. I, I really, I, those, it that, that kind of stuff just washes over me. I, we live in, a, in one, of the, one of the greatest countries in the world. If there was ever a, a place where I was victimized, this would be the place where I could overcome that victimization because of the way that the systems and structures are, are, are set up. I mean, this is a place where people are, are trying to you know, cross deserts to get here with less than anything in their pocket. Why? Because they know that the way that, that, that our culture is set up, the Judeo-Christian manner in which it was set up to begin with provides them the greatest opportunity to, to, to experience, to go from poverty to, to wealth, to have a family that, that may be struggling and suffering to one that's doing well. Now, my, my goal in, the, in my time is not, to, is not to brag about America. It's simply to say that those who are trying to give you an idea that the, that the systems and structures somehow uh, are set up so that a certain ethnic group uh, is, is on decline is, is just a fallacy. Today, as we begin our session, I want to recognize, again, the the, the ideas uh, that we've covered in the past. What you're going to hear me do over the course of the next two or three sessions, uh, as well with Daryl, and we even talked about this earlier, was you're going to hear us uh, repeat ideas that you've heard before. That's on purpose. The reason I want to do that is because, like I said yesterday, you were overwhelmed. Today, what we really want to do is to solidify those ideas in your mind. Uh, You should be hearing ideas and terms over and over again, and now it should begin selling it. Oh, I know what that means. I know how that's being used. I now can use it in a conversation based upon a a, a learned understanding of that. Can I ask someone, if you would, to give me a bottle of water? That would be wonderful. That would be incredibly helpful. Thank you. You got me here? All right. Thank you, brother. So here's here's where we're going to go. First, I want to go back. I want to take you back three years to 2019, or we can even go five years to uh, 2017. If I asked you to to write down on a sheet of paper um, during that time what you would what you believe that we would experience on a cultural front, I doubt that you would be able to come up with predicting what actually took place during the course of the last three years. It would be next to impossible. I would have never predicted what we've experienced, even following 2020, as, 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 the, page, as the calendar turned the page on 2020. There was, there, there's never a, a way that you could write down what was going to take place during that time. Everything from a world pandemic to a nationwide quarantine, from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd, from protests in the streets in the name of justice to cities aflame. Even as we think about what we're witnessing today. It's, it's really incredible when we think about the, the gender confusion. I, I would, I would love for you to sit down and go through an exercise, even, even as we're, we're sitting, this is June, the month of June. I, I would, I would encourage you to sit down and write, write out what you think, culturally speaking, based upon what we recently experienced, that we will see happen in the next six months. I guarantee you whatever you write down will be, will pale in comparison. To, what will, to the events that will actually take place over the course of the next six months. The events and the, the days that we're in often remind me of what Paul wrote to believers in Rome. And, and, uh, in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 22 and 23, they read this way. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Amid what seems to be perilous times, I believe it's incumbent upon us as believers to, to, to hold on to hope. As I was listening to, to, to Darrell speak about the issues, and, and he is spot. On. It is critical that you're aware that in our school systems, they are coming. They have been coming for the kids and, and even more so in the days to come. But as believers in Christ, those who should have more hope about these issues than anybody should be us. Why? Because we don't have to wade through the chaos to understand the the, the clarity that, that Christ is exalted, that he is what is true, that we have the word of God, and we have a responsibility to proclaim that truth. We have to recognize that. You all should be more excited than ever as you're being equipped with all of the information to go and declare truth. And that truth that you should, should, should declare is not the, the elements of CRT. This is to inform you. You're not to go and declare the, the, the elements of social justice. This is to inform you so that when you hear it coming, you're, you're calm. You're steady. You're clear. What are you to proclaim? You're to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ there's anything that we can learn from walking during the times that we're in is that we live in a fallen and sin-filled world. And, and the whole of creation, again, has been groaning for for, uh, for those who have the first fruits of the Spirit. We've grown in, for those of us who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan grown inwardly as we eagerly await our redemption. As believers in challenging times, it's imperative that we stand on the foundation of the Word of God and as we watch and witness the, the aurora of things around us, as things become ever more dark, it is critical for us to realise that the point that it is darkest, light shines brightest. It's the Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, which explains, reveals, and even predicts what we're currently experiencing. I'll go further to say that there are two ideas which bear your consideration during our time together, and that's this. One, you can write these down. The Bible provides a proper diagnosis of the problems which ail us. The Bible, Scripture, properly diagnoses the problems which ail us. And number two, the gospel provides the prescription for cure. It was Dr. John MacArthur who said this, quote, Even though the Bible is an ancient document, every person in every situation in every society that has ever existed can find in this book things that endure forever. Here's a book, continue to quote from MacArthur. Here's a book, he says, that never needs another edition. It never needs to be edited. It never has to be updated. It is never out of date or obsolete. It speaks to us as pointedly and directly as it ever has to anyone in any century since it was written. End quote. It is my intention during our time together that to speak to these issues related to all of us that that through the light of this ancient document that still speaks pointedly and directly as it ever has to anyone in any other century, that this book is the book that we stand on. My goal in, is, and hope is, it, my, my goal rather is to give you the hope that is found in the pages of scripture. Turn if you will in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to, I'm going to read this aloud and walk you through, uh, give, you, give you kind of a glimpse. For those who are visiting, uh, I, I will spend some time on Sunday really doing a, a deeper dive into this text of Scripture. Uh, I say deeper dive almost tongue-in-cheek because I kind of had an opportunity to witness um, uh, your pastor, uh, Pastor Jim, walk through a text of Scripture, and I went, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I, I'll, I'll do a light dusting over. <laughs> of these verses of scripture on Sunday. So, so if you're here in town and you'd like to experience that dust over, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would invite you to come visit. If you're traveling from far distance, that's my invitation for you to come on Sunday morning. Both Daryl and I will have an opportunity. Daryl will be speaking uh, earlier in the morning uh, during Sunday school, uh, and then I'll have the opportunity, again, my dusting over of this uh, particular... T- yeah, yeah. Yeah, when I yeah I, I I watched. In fact, I was I was uh, I talked to telling Pastor Jim as I came in this morning. I got a chance to kind of listen to uh, some of his sermons. Y- y'all are going through the, uh, the book of Hebrews, so I went and, and looked at that and looked at these other ones. I said, "Oh, there's a, I looked at. I think it was maybe you guys were in maybe two years ago when you're in Hebrews ten, and then now you're. In, <laughs> now you're in Hebrews eleven. Two years later. Yeah, so I I, I was looking at that and and. I, I didn't notice though. There's a there's a difference. There's, I, I, call, I I'm going to call him Pastor Slim Jim now, and you know the the other guy was a little bit you know, but he's looking good. Anyway, I digress. That's 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 to get you back for this note you left me up here. So. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 20, read this way. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17. And as it relates to the issues of of reconciliation, um, this text identifies the fact that that God the Father has reconciled us through the finished work of Christ for those who are in him and and completes that through the the operating power of the Spirit in the life of the believer. There there are two things that work, and I'm going to try not to preach my sermon right now just so... All inspired by what I'm what I'm reading here. The the idea of of, of what the gospel has done, the, the, the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of sins reconciles us, justifies us before a holy God. And then on the other side of that, the work of the Spirit works in us, reconciling us one to another through the course of the sanctifying work of the Spirit in the life of the believer. This is a beautiful section of Scripture that if you ever get concerned about what you see in culture, you should use this particular text to remind yourself not of what's to come, but what God has already done for which nothing needs to be added to or, 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 or fixed on or, or, or some man-made idea, ideology, be brought in in addition. There's no analytical tool that needs to be added so that we can fix the issue of the races. This is, this is what God has done. We can marvel in that work and be that much more awestruck by the goodness of God who reconciles us to himself and to others. I better stick with my notes before I start preaching what happens on Sunday, so... For now, I just want to point you to, I want to point you, I want to point out that in a, in a time that we live in, when racial reconciliation is constantly on the minds of many in the culture, and even Christian culture has adopted the new hashtag hermeneutic regarding black lives, the hashtag black lives matter. Scripture provides a real, a righteous, and a responsiveness, rather, to reconciliation that only God can provide. Furthermore, God has made it available to all who come to him in Christ Jesus. You want to fix the issue of racism in the culture? Preach the gospel. You want to see uh, lost people uh, turn their lives around and get out of the debauchery that we witness in the gender confused society that we live in? Preach the gospel. Uh, you, you want to see the, the situations in the school systems and, and all of the things that, we, that we've talked about this weekend? Turn the page. Preach the gospel. While many, due to recent events, have found themselves needing to quickly get up to speed on these contentious issues, Daryl and I have, over the course of the past two to three years, have had the opportunity to speak in places. We are witnessing a growing problem within the church regarding racial reconciliation. You already know how we feel about that issue. Perhaps more importantly than what we're witnessing in the way of the problems, as we think about the cures, the beauty of of, of the issue is that God in his infinite wisdom has provided a solution in his word. And that solution regards man's desire, A, for sin, and B, for what they need to do to turn that around with regard to righteousness. Let me begin by saying this. The answers to the problems that we see in culture, the answers are simple. They they are very simple. Now, they are not easy, but they are indeed simple. While there are problems uh, with regard to ethnic hatred, it's what we call ethnic ethnic hatred, uh, racism, there there are issues, right? We, we're, we're not here to tell you that there's not someone operating in ethnic hatred with someone. That's never what we... You ne- you'll never hear us say that that's not the case. Our challenge is the idea of the systemic nature of that issue. The position I would argue is that that for the Christian any solution devoid of the gospel will only treat symptoms and provide a false sense of security that, for which there is no cure. We have got to be gospel people. We have got to share the gospel and see it as the right solution in these instances. For well, the believer in Christ, any honest conversation about the subject of ethnicity or ethnic press prejudice must first begin with a self-examination of one's own heart. One of the things that we get charged with, yeah, you guys go around and you preach and you teach and you talk and you give cover for everything. And so now the, 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 the one or two racists that may really be in the congregation, they get to get they get to get off scot free. They get to walk out of the door patting themselves on the back for the for the ideas that they hold that are contrary to Scripture. My response to that is, no, you don't. That's not, that's not that's never what we've said. What we begin by saying is that that any issue in the heart of any one of us needs to be examined against the backdrop of what Scripture says about this subject. We have a responsibility to examine our own heart regarding sin. Scripture is absolutely clear on this. Psalm 139, 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way within me and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 26, 2, prove me, O Lord, and try me, test my heart and my mind. Galatians chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, but let each one test his own work. Matthew chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, or who can say to a brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a log in your own eye, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will be able to see clearly the speck That is in your brother's eye. Scripture is is replete with with challenges and and, and admonitions and and, and commands for us as believers to examine ourselves. Self-examination is critical when addressing this or any other issue regarding sin. I would simply add that the self-examination that needs to take place is not aimed at one ethnic group or one color The sin of racism and ethnic hatred does not discriminate. I recognize that, that those who hold the, the critical race theory view, and it is just that, a, a theory, a theory of, of criticism, right? You've heard us say this over and over again. The critical and critical race theory has nothing to do with analyzing anything. It is purposely a critique for the purpose of deconstructing systems. That's the whole purpose. Critical and critical race theory has nothing to do with with examination and analysis for the purpose of of, of making something correct. Okay, here's the correct standard. I'm going to analyze it and see if this issue aligns with that standard. That is not the purpose of anything critical with critical theory, critical gender studies, critical... You name it. N- none of that is true. What is true about the critical nature is it is designed to, to ask questions, to criticize. And then when you come up with an answer, it's to criticize it more. In the last talk, I remember Daryl saying, you know, hey, you need to define woke. And he said, don't bother. Why? Because as soon as you do, the critic will simply criticize your definition. And then they won't give you one that they're working with. And then if you, you spend all the time doing the research and figuring out what you need to figure out and then come back and provide a new definition, what is the critic going to do? They're going to criticize your new definition in an effort to deconstruct what you've just said. And then you go and you're trying to figure out, well, how can, I, how can I make this thing work? That's why yesterday when there was a question, my, my, uh, my, my neighbor, my friend is into CRT. They've kind of bought it. What do I do? Well, you pray. That's what you do. You you pray and believe that that, that prayer has the power, if this is a believer, to to change their heart so that they can see the light of the gospel. If they're an unbeliever, you pray that they would receive the gospel so that they can even understand the light of truth that you're coming to share with them. Those are the kinds of things that we have to think about. Critical theory holds the idea that, that the ethnic majority who holds power and is the only participant in enacting racial or ethnic hatred. The Bible is clear that every one of us can hold hatred in our hearts against one another. The first step in reconciling this division, however, is to begin with a biblical anthropology. We have to begin using biblical terms. You heard Daryl talk about this yesterday. We have to use biblical terminology to explain the subjects that we're talking about with regard to ethnicity. Let me be the first to point you to the issue that, I, that uh, an issue that or, or a uh, an idea that I want to want to make uh, the point that I want to make here, and that is this. And you've heard us say this repeatedly. So I'm going to share it with you, and I hope that you'll write this down. Number one, is, point one is this: that there is only one human race. If you received nothing out of the talk that I gave, the very first talk where I walked through the theology of man, right? I did the theology of man. Uh, the theology, I think, of race or racism, and the theology of the church. Truth be told, those, those topics could have been a two-part you know, study all by themselves, right? But I, I gave you kind of a clip notes. Let me give you a clip of the clip notes in, in this talk here. Point one, again, there's one human race. Again, the title is Wokeness, Whiteness, and the New Racism. We deal with that. How do we address that? We start by understanding that there's one human race. There's one human race. Scripture is clear that that we all came from one man, Adam. In my first talk, again, I gave you these scriptures. If you didn't write them down, I'm going to repeat them so that you have them. And we told you, Acts 17, 26 and he that is god made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth having determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling acts 17 26 genesis 127 so god created man in his own image and in the image of god he created them male and female he created them i gave you malachi 2 10 have we not all one father has not one God created us? Then why are we faithless to one another, profaning the covenant of our fathers? For those who are in Christ, however, there's, a, there's another level of oneness. I talked about that new level of oneness. We, we, we are one human race. I share a commonness with every person on the planet as a human being created in the image of God. As a result of that, I I, I should share a gladness or a sorrow. When an image bearer suffers, I should be sad. When an image bearer triumphs, I should get joy. It's the very reason why when you watch something on television, you see someone doing something that maybe had a a tremendous struggle and you see them overcome that struggle to to triumph. There is something that wells up in your heart. What's funny for me is the older I get, the more that tears well up in my eyes. Why I'm identifying with another image bearer? That's our connection point. That's even there's an even greater degree of that for us who are believers in Christ. There's a oneness that we share. I can't emphasize this enough. And my hope, I know one of the things that's been a joy to be around you all is I, you you all you all like each other. You all enjoy fellowshipping with one another. Why? Because you're identifying the fact that while, yes, I share in the common humanity that's out there, there is something special about the local body of believers that's here. And for me, uh, uh, someone who, who came from, from uh, Atlanta and flown here, you know that as, as I'm in Christ, you've embraced me as one of your own. I've got more people trying to to help us and trying to take care of us. All of this systemic racism, I guess. That ain't in here. But the reality is we share a oneness that is eternal. Do you recognize that? Do Do you understand the magnitude of that? I get the joy. spending eternity with the people of God. That's amazing. That's glorious. That's that's the beauty of that will be this. We'll be sinless in that space. Look, I almost went Pentecostal on Young. Take a moment to wrap your mind around the beauty of that. And every week when you gather as the people of God, remind yourself of that so that you can grow in the hope that is in you. And that light and the beauty of the the implications, the applications of the gospel in your life can be seen out there. So at the end of the day, that's, that's really what they're searching for. That's what they're hoping for. They're trying to, they don't trust God, so they're trying to create their own utopia. The utopia they're trying to create, the eschaton they're trying to create, is something you and I experience every week. That's why we're looking around, what's wrong with you people? That's why we're looking at culture, trying to figure out, how do you not get this? Well, they don't get it because we haven't preached it. They don't get it because you haven't shared it. And it's not CRT, it's not social justice, it's not... It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lest we forget the oneness that we have, the text in Ephesians 2 reminds us, take a look there at verse 14. It says this, for he himself is our peace who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in the ordinances that he might create in himself, what does that say? One new man in the place of two. We are one body of Christ. That's who we are. So, making peace. This is much more than an issue of semantics. This is an issue of biblical anthropology. It's a biblical view of, of who man is. This is why it's, in, it's important to understand these kinds of things for two reasons. I told you about the, the, the shared humanity that we all experience. And then the, the, the unique brotherhood that we have uh, as believers in Christ. This is important for a couple of reasons. First is that the culture would have you to separate human life into categories. They, they are trying to provide additional categories for you to, to, to be a part of. And if you remember the, the talk from yesterday, I, we had the, the, the non-binary, non-gender affirming. The, I mean, there were like 20 different categories to describe one person. The, the press secretary, uh, the brand new press secretary for Joe Biden had to get up and she I think she gave at least three or four different labels to describe who she was in an effort to to categorize herself as a first. I, I, it, that's where culture is. That's not where we are. Secondarily, I think it's important for us to have a biblical anthropology for the reason that identity politics has has given way to intersectionality. Again, uh, intersectionality is a term that was coined by Kimberly Crenshaw. Daryl, in one of his talks, gave you that name. So let me spell that for you so that if you're interested in going and understanding the origins of intersectionality, the person who who gave you that phrase was Kimberly Crenshaw. Crenshaw, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E, Kimberly Crenshaw, C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W. Again, Kimberly, K-I-M-B-E-R-L-E, Crenshaw, C-R-E-N-S-H-A-W. She was the first person that, that established intersectionality. If that's a term that you don't understand or don't know, it's when one person's truth is established as a priority on the basis of the intersection's for which they can identify a victimhood status. I realize that sounded like gobbledygook. I, I recognize that. Let me give you an example. For example, a white female, a white male's truth claim might not bear consideration if someone with more intersections of victimhood made a contradicting statement. Let me give you another example. If if a black Transgender, I have to say this slow because you've got to wrap your mind around all these different isms and breakdowns. If a black transgender woman, that's a biological male who, who has believed himself to be a woman. If they had a truth claim that contradicted a white male's truth claim, the black transgender woman having more intersections of victimhood would need to be heard. Daryl talked about it yesterday when he mentioned the voices of color Theory, voices of color theory. Intersectionality plays a role in that. It plays a role in that. But it basically states if you're a voice of color, your voice matters. Of course, that's subjective because I'm not, my color is irrelevant because my voice says something different than what the, the tribe actually says, right? Their idea is, is that they have a narrative that's tribalistic. And if I submit myself to it, then, then I'm as black as black can be. Right? I'm blacker than Daryl. Blackity black. <laughs> but if it doesn't align with that tribalistic point of view, then what happens? I'm, I'm a white supremacist. That's kind of how that is played. Therefore, again, we take issue with the idea of races, uh, with the idea of using the terminology race is. That's why Daryl has been so dogmatic in his approach about this. That's why I try to do my best to in, make sure that whenever I'm speaking, especially in a public space, that we use the term ethnicities. And what we're dealing with with regard to the issue of racism is, is just ethnic hatred. You just hate your brother, right? Whether we're talking about brotherhood of the common man created in the image of God, or if we're talking about a brother in the Lord. You hate them on the basis of the color of their skin. That's ethnic hatred, right? That's ethnic hatred. You hate your brother. And scripture is very clear about that. Yesterday, Daryl mentioned the Nat Geo, uh, uh, short for National Geographic, article. If you didn't get it down, I want to repeat it here for your hearing. It is. It was, the, it, the, it was entitled, it was a Nat Geo article, I think it was April, April 2018, April 2018, it was a Nat Geo article. I want to, I want to commend this one to you because it is a fantastic article. Um, it really is something that you could probably, I think it's online. I think it's accessible online. You may have to pay something for it. If I remember, I think I, yeah, I think it's behind a paywall now, but it, it's, it's worth it. For the purpose of having to use in conversation, if you want to have a conversation with someone who's actually willing to read, willing to listen, this would be something that you'd want to pass along to them. The title of the article is There's No Scientific Basis for Race. It's a made-up label. There's No Scientific Basis for Race. It's a made-up label. National Geographic, April 2018. I'm looking at you, Daryl. 2018, correct? Okay. For some, they were hearing about this article for the first time, and it was their first glimpse at the, the pseudoscience of Samuel Morton. Great name to remember. Samuel Morton was the one who promoted craniometry. Remember Darryl was talking about how they, they had the, the, the skulls that, that excuse me, that he would collect, and then, as a result, the, he would put the, 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 the seeds in them to, to test the cavity. Now listen, if if brain size or skull size or skull volume, uh, had, had any correlation to uh, intelligence, I'd probably be one of the smartest guys in the room. <laughs> but that, they made that, that correlation apart from really going in and, and making the scientific connection points that required that kind, of, um, that kind of thought process to begin with. You're able, as believers, as Christians, Christians are able to be susceptible to those kinds of ideas when they abandon biblical language regarding how man was created when you do that you find yourself susceptible to worldly solutions regarding how we think uh, about about sex about gender about about uh, race ethnicity all of these things are important my second point is this point number 2 and you heard us say this i told you in the next few talks you're going to hear us repeat things and again the purpose of the of the repetition is, is to settle in your brain the things that we've, that we've dump trucked, okay? So you've heard this said as well. Number two is races don't reconcile, hearts do. You remember Daryl saying that yesterday? Races don't reconcile, hearts do. Take a look again at, at the text of scripture, Ephesians chapter two, verses 17 through 20. And again, I'll, I'll unpack this a little bit to, to a greater degree, the, the separation of the Jew and Gentile and, and how they were separated from one another. I've got to give you a little context before I read this section because what you're going to see is that both needed, needed uh, to be preached. Uh, t- both needed to be preached to. And, they, and, and peace needed to be preached to them both. Both the Jew who had the law but were ignoring the law and to the Gentile who did not have the law but needed to understand that they were lawbreakers, and in addition, that there was, a, there was a Savior that could reconcile them to God and to one another. Again, more than I needed to say there, but let me read Ephesians chapter 2, verses 17 through 20. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. The far off were the Gentiles, the Jews were the near. For through him we have both access in, in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens... But you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We are reconciled one to another. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. Write that down. It says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All of this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us. The ministry of reconciliation. That'll preach. If I had some ham and be, I could sit right here and we can go to town. That is in Christ, God, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. You have the ministry of reconciliation. You and I have that ministry. That's not for CRTs. That's not for social justicians. That's not for all of these folks proclaiming their false gospels. That ministry has been given to you and I. Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. We have received reconciliation. We are ministers of reconciliation. Our reconciliation comes through the the power of the gospel and the work of Christ. The gospel is more than just the good news that saves us. The gospel is the the good news that sanctifies us as well. You, You never get past the gospel. You can't move past the gospel. You're not, well, you know, I graduated from that. Check the box. Let me figure out what's next. No. Every week you come as believers in Christ, gather to the local assembly. Why? For the purpose of hearing the gospel again. You're being gospeled every time you gather. Why? So that you can remember, A, that you are a sinner and that you need a savior. That last week, you didn't love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in a perfect way. And as a result, you need to collectively come together, individually repent of your sin, and even corporately confess your sin as you enter the, this, this, this space to hear from the word of God. You should be reminded of the gospel. Our worship should take a gospel shape. When we gather, we should be reminded of the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. We should hear the word declared and exhorted so that our lives can more align itself to be conformed into the image of Christ. That is the purpose of the gospel. The gospel is more than just the good news that saves us. The gospel is the good news that sanctifies us. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I love how Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the doctor, says or or walks through this verse. He says that the gospel is, is the power of God to save. It's God's power to save. So while justification is in view regarding the gospel, the gospel is a message that sanctifies us. I mentioned it conforming us into the image of Christ, Romans 8, 28 and 29. Here's the real problem. The real problem is that the majority of believers, I'm not talking about the people in here. I'm talking about the vast majority of, of American culture, American Christian culture. They really don't believe that the gospel does all of that. They, they really don't. They think, well, yeah, the gospel saves me, but you know, now what? They really don't, don't trust the gospel to do its work. So they rather put their trust in man-made philosophies and ideas of sociology or ethnic soteriology to save and change and transform what God himself said he is the only one able to do through the preached preached word of the gospel. Jeremiah chapter 27, verse 7 says, I will give them a heart to know That I am the Lord and that they shall be my people and I will be their God for they shall return with me with their whole heart. Ezekiel chapter 36 verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and I will put my spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The issue of of racism has been an issue long before it's ever evidenced in one's heart. Let me say it again. The issue of, of racism, the sin of racism. It is an issue of sin in the heart long before it's evidenced in one skin, right? We're, we're talking about an issue that is a heart issue. You won't be able to legislate your way out of that. You can fix the legislation, but, but at the end of the day, the heart transformation only takes place in one way. And that's through the proclamation of the gospel, hopefully, I've said enough about gospel proclamation, and this time for you to get that that's the solution. I talked about this yesterday in an interview, and this is under the heading "Races Don't Reconcile." Races don't reconcile; hearts do. Where I was asked the question, um, you know, wh- what do we need to do to to, to to reconcile the races? And I made the statement. I think I shared this with you yesterday. I said I asked the question, "Who's the who's the black representative that they're, that they're going to send to?" Reconcile the races. And then who's the white representative that they're going to send somewhere to reconcile the races? And then what is going to be what are going to be the terms of their agreement? And and will all of us in the race decide that those are the terms that we're all going to agree to so that by the time they get done, they shake hands and sign the treaty, we're all we're all reconciled. You see how silly that is? It supports the, the truth that it's not races that reconcile. Hearts do. Some of you may be thinking, okay, I hear what you're saying, but, but I do know some individual racists. I know some folks. I've got a grandfather who, man, he, you know, so every time the television is turned on, he's got a little something to say, and it's, you know, well, I've got this brother at, at, at our church, you know, he, he doesn't say much. He's kind of quiet, but he, there's some times when I'm, some of the jokes, I'm just not sure, and you know, it's kind of strange. Well, what, what, what do I do in that situation? Is there like a Bible verse that we can open up and look at? Well, I'm glad you asked, so. (laughs) Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It reads this way. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he doesn't listen, take one or two brothers along with you. That every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If you refuse to listen to them, then what do you do? You tell the church. Why well, do we clear up racism in the church? Well, it's church discipline. If it comes to that, but have a conversation. Be willing to, because why? You stand on the truth. and We, we, we should not tolerate any, any form of, of this sinful condition in the body of Christ. So this is how we deal with it. Here's, here's what I'm not saying to those on the other side of this spectrum. I'm... I, I... I, I, I want to be sensitive in a pastoral way to those who may come in and say, you know, they're confused about this issue. And they, they bought into some of the cultural ideas and they maybe come into a, a brand new church. and say, Yeah, but I, I, I suffered something out there with with racism. I suffered this this issue, this 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 challenge. A, a police officer did this. And what you're hearing in the culture is, well, you got to listen. You got to listen. Now, when they say listen, what they mean by that is you, if you're white, you better shut up and listen. And whatever they say, and whatever emotional uh, thing that they're having happen as a result of remembering this incident, as they're reproblematizing it and bringing it to your doorstep as if you've done that, that's where you—that's where you pump the brakes. But at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with listening to what someone is saying. You just don't buy what they're saying, hook, line, and sinker. I'll give you an an easy example. Those of you who have kids recognize this. One of your kids comes racing to you. They're in tears. They're crying, and (laughs) they can't breathe, and they're trying to tell you about what somebody did to them. You listen. You you may listen calmly and, okay, tell me what's happening and walk through that. And then you, you, you pause, and you go... Grab the other person, right, the other sibling, and figure out what's taking place. You you don't simply, you know, have your child say, "Uh, uh, uh, I want you to to kill my brother. You're like, okay, I'll go kill you. Wouldn't that be stupid? Scripture tells us that we should listen to one another, bear one another's burdens. Galatians 6, 2 tells us to bear one another's burdens so as to fulfill the law of Christ. Proverbs 2, 2 says, make your ear attentive to wisdom and incline your heart to understanding. Proverbs 17:27 says, whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 says, let each of you look not unto his own interests, but for the interests of others. However, we must realize that, that, uh, that, that melanin or the lack thereof is not inherently sinful. We have to make sure that we have that lens. And when terms are used, terms like white guilt, white privilege, uh, critical race theory and the like, when we, when we lean into that, we're just missing the beauty of what Scripture provides in the way of a solution. There's much more that I could say here, but simply in the interest of time, I told you I was making two claims. One, that the Bible provides a proper diagnosis for the problems which ail us. My goal was to demonstrate that. I believe that I did. My second goal was to to share with you that only the gospel provides the prescription for cure. At the end of the day, the gospel is enough. Let me close by reading Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where Paul declares the truth about the gospel of Jesus Christ and all of its sufficiency and glory. Colossians 1, 13 says the following. And he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The son is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things on heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This next section of scripture verses 21 and following are reminiscent of what we find in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 to 22 as we're reminded that you were alien that once you were alienated from God you were hostile in your mind because of your evil deeds but now he has reconciled you there's that word again by Christ's physical body not by CRT. Not by social justice. He's reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy and unblemished unblemished and blameless in his presence. If indeed you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope of the gospel you heard. Don't be moved from the gospel that you've heard with flawed and false ideologies of men. Your hope is in the gospel. And which you have proclaimed to every creature. You're, you're to proclaim this to everyone. Not to proclaim the gospel of CRT. You're to proclaim the gospel of Christ to everyone. <clears throat> to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You see, Jesus is indeed enough. The gospel is indeed enough. The life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is indeed enough. So as Paul uh, admonish Timothy to preach the word. I, I challenge you to preach the gospel. Share the gospel. Be effective. The hope of the world is in the light of the gospel. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org.